0: Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm Harmony and I'm so excited you're here today. We have a new kind of guest. He is also rather new to the Ashtanga Yoga practice. He has a very unique story in that. He was first introduced to the idea of practicing ashtanga yoga through his jiu teacher, but uh, then the COVID-19 pandemic took over, and so he had to learn yoga primarily using only online resources, videos, uh, Instagram tutorials, Instagram photos. He's taught himself the names of all the postures, how to practice first series and second series, and practiced only online, never in a classroom until quite recently. His affection for the practice and his love for the practice is infectious. He is a powerful presence on Instagram these days and many of you will be familiar with Michael Baudu. He has hilarious Instagram reels and has done a great job of showing how Ashtanga Yoga can be fun and accessible and making it relatable to people who aren't necessarily steeped in this Ashtanga Yoga tradition or this Ashtanga Yoga ethos. He's reaching out to people who maybe haven't even thought that they can practice yoga and showing them that anybody can practice. And it doesn't have to be a deeply serious endeavor, but that it can change your life and make you feel better, think better, um, and just have better overall relationships with yourself and the people around you. And so I'm so happy to introduce Michael to you today. And this is just a wonderful conversation. It's super uplifting. Uh, there is a small swear word used by myself, so take care if you uh, are not enjoying those swear words. Um, but it's a wonderful, hilarious episode, and I know you're absolutely going to love it. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Harmony. Hi,
1: Harmony Slater.
0: Harmony Slater. <laughs> And I'm here with my co-host. Are you my co-host?
1: I am the co-host. We are very excited today. We have a, a, a special uh, guest for you, um, a phenomenal practitioner, Michael Baidu. Baidu. Baidu.
0: Baidu. You
2: both said it right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me.
1: <laughs> well, well, you're very welcome to have you. So, uh, many, of our ge- many of our listeners will probably know you from... Uh, your hilarious TikTok and Instagram videos. You're known as Beyjitsu. Uh, yes. And, you know, it's interesting for me, Michael, you really represent the, the reality of COVID-19. And we wanted to, to have you on the show to talk to you about your experience. You've, as I understand, you've entirely learned Ashtanga Yoga, and brilliantly, I might add, uh, through the magic of television.
0: <laughs> Is that true?
2: <laughs> you, you said it right. I don't know. Like you, you read me like a book. Thank
1: you. <laughs> well, yeah, you did. You you learned Ashtanga Yoga. You picked it up in the last year uh, during COVID. And when you couldn't go to classes and you looked at, you, look, you went online and, and you picked it
2: up. Yes. This all happened. Early within, early within the year, um, when I got laid off, mm-hmm. I was, uh, at that time I was an IT manager working at Bloomingdale's. And then I was told, hey, we're all working from home now. And that some of us are maybe laid off and some of us may still stay. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately I was one of the few that, that had to leave because their IT center was mainly based in Atlanta, Georgia. So oh. I was,
0: oh.
2: yeah, so there's nothing much you can really do with that part. <laughs> Yeah. So then I was also told from my gym that we weren't going to practice jiu-jitsu at all anymore because for the time being, because of this pandemic.
0: Right.
2: So I, so it kind of took a lot out of me because it was like the hours that I put in, like going to New York, it was pretty much for work. It was for jiu-jitsu. Now I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. So I felt kind of bummed out also because I didn't have health insurance at all anymore. Because in the U.S., you mainly get health care when you work within like corporate companies or you're working like W-2 and whatnot. Different from right. Canada, as yes. I understand.
3: Yes, it is. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so that was when my sensei has spoke to me and had mentioned about his practice that he, that he does called Ashtanga Yoga and recommend me to practice that as well too. And, he's, and he has told me that like, we, we do this in the morning, we'll do this every day and we'll start off with some salutations and whatnot. So at first I thought I was kind of like silly because I was thinking myself as an athlete, I was like, I need to do like strength training. I need to lift weights. I need to do this and that. And then he said, all you need is, is a shangha yoga. So I was like, okay, I'm going I'm to trust you on this and I'm going to do it. Went ahead, went in with this process and pretty much brought me to where I am right now, where, where I started to like interact with the community. I started to, to use social media as my way to connect with other people that were also practicing yoga or probably having issues motivating themselves to it, to where, I, to where the community is right now. So thank you for having me and I'm grateful to be here.
0: Oh, that's amazing. What, I'm so curious, what was the first like online yoga class that you participated in?
2: Yes. So my first class was with Ashtanga Yoga, New York. Mm-hmm. Um, it was with, the, the, the main teacher was Guy Donahue. And You're was, joking.
1: Really? Yeah. Oh, that, was, that was my main Mysore teacher.
2: Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That is, it's an honor to, to, to have him. Like it was, it, was, it was, he's an amazing teacher. And he told me so much, so, so much when I first started. And he, was, he was entirely, he, and that was entirely
1: online. Yes, We were doing this online.
2: So it was a challenge for both of us. Yeah, (laughs) That's
1: that's amazing because the reason I went to him was in 2000, Mm -hmm. the only person that had a website in New York was Guy Donahue. And that's why I ended up at his place and not Eddie's because Eddie didn't have a website. I didn't know that. Yeah. Because so like looking around, you know, I'm just like looking for a place to practice. It's like, I, you know, I go through the yellow pages. Like Somebody said, oh, you should really practice with, with Eddie. And mm-hmm. I was like, I couldn't I couldn't find him. So I just I went looking online and like, oh, here's a website. That's Batabi Joyce. I know that guy. Mm-hmm. This must be the right place. And it was Guy. He was because he was the only one with the website. Guy
2: was my sensei's teacher.
0: Oh, so recommended
2: I me mean, to, to take to take Guy online. Okay. Oh, cool.
0: Was it a Mysore class or a lead class?
2: It was a Mysore class. And then I t- also took a lead class with his teacher, with his assistant, Jeffrey Villanueva. Okay, okay cool.
0: That's good for the Wow. And so you did that for like a while.
2: I did that for a while. And then um, I, was, I was offered by Guy to take a private with him. Mm, so okay. I took a private and I used all the money, pretty much like I was collecting unemployment. I was using my, un, my unemployment money. To pay, for, to pay for private hours with Guy Donahue, so I can get early understanding. So, right. so, so it was giving me sort of like the walkthrough and understanding like the Kriya, understanding banda, and understanding like his strict method, method of practicing a stronger yoga primary series. And mm-hmm. at first he stopped me as, as Sutta kramasana and said, I can't go any further than that unless a teacher advises me to. So that was the rule that I followed continually. Mm-hmm.
1: That's interesting. I, I took out a student loan to become his uh apprentice. So that's how I wow. that's how I did it. I was I was um living we mentioned this on a previous podcast, but I, I was living in my studio in a closet that um I was squatting in. And then I just used all of my extra money, mm-hmm. uh like teaching art classes to to pay for guys' classes. So it was, yeah. I, I know the feeling.
2: But it, it's totally worth it too. It, like, I, like my, friends, my friends were like, are you stupid? I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> like I left my friends. I left some of my friends that I, that, I was, that I used to hang out with because I noticed as I started practicing with Ashtanga Yoga, it made me more open-minded in terms of my future. It mm. made me start to look at things different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm, that's what I'm curious about. Like that you, you jumped like full
1: bore into the Ashtanga Yoga online community what i'm confused about is well, where was the jujitsu online community why why not jump in to that and be online in that community
2: so initially my my account was was made for jujitsu at first mm-hmm. that was, hence the the username beijitsu right so, and and at first it was it was where i was posting up my tournament like my, my tournament results and showing pictures of jujitsu but when the, the when the pandemic happened that's when I transitioned and started focusing more on yoga because yoga was the only thing that I can post or that was realistic. So from there, that's when I started within the stories and I posted and I tagged my, my sensei to where we created this accountability system for the both of us to where I was showing him that I was practicing and then from there it started to gain more attention from others that were also practicing in genre yoga. Mm. So they were interested and they're like, this sounds pretty cool. Like it's keeping you guys going. I'm, I'm seeing you within your story it's like every day practicing yoga is inspiring I would like to join too so then I figured I was like okay let's why not like I'll just tag you in and we'll just we we'll add you into this team so then this then grew out to where it became like a consistent team where I was like okay now it's actually actually becoming more consistent it's becoming a routine and while I'm looking for jobs as some job searching throughout this pandemic I can focus my mind on brighter things such as Ashtanga yoga and, and continuing this because this was bringing me joy. And that's, why, and that's why I dove into it more because I was feeling happy with, within, within this crisis, within this pandemic. Like I didn't wanna think about the bad stuff and the media wasn't giving any good news. So yoga was allowing me to think rationally and to not stress myself within this moment because this was, this was a lot for me and I don't receive support from my parents. Like I live my life very independently by myself. So it's mm-hmm. was one of those moments where it's like, I really need to focus and I can't just be emotional because being emotional is going to put me through this hole. And I, and I understand how I think. So I knew that it was best for me to get myself into shape where I was mentally prepared and I was mentally healthy so I can think clearly and plan better.
0: Mm. And you found that the yoga was really helping you with that.
2: Absolutely. It, it, it taught me so much in the sense that I never really learned how to use Instagram but I decided to learn how to use social media because of, because of the Ashtanga network. And then from there, it made me, it, it kind of influenced me to help, to help build the community. So, mm-hmm. it, like the whole like real thing started from an accident from where I, I posted up a video of me making a mistake or getting, <laughs> and getting exhausted from doing Garba Pindasa because it was like you have to do these roles and whatnot. And then from there, you, you then transition into Kukutasana. So, mm-hmm so for me it was more like oh man i still can't get up there it's exhausting and then for some reason it just gained a lot of attraction and it was like okay like i didn't know that many people were into yoga but sure (laughs) yeah i'll just keep doing this since people are laughing and people are feeling are feeling good
0: yeah yeah your your reels were so funny and Mm. they really i mean i said to russell he knows how to use instagram like a motherfucker (laughs) (laughs)
1: You know, we're going to we're going to bleep that out and <laughs> probably we're just going to edit it. Um,
0: <laughs> I, but so, I can't believe you taught yourself how to do that during the pandemic on top of Ashtanga yoga. <laughs> it, it,
2: it, it almost felt as if like because was my main focus within Ashtanga yoga was not what yoga could do for me but it was more of what I could do for the community. And my, and my sensei has always taught me that, like even with jujitsu, even within life, it's not about g- coming into a community and taking things out, but it's about putting things in and building something from it. So then I noticed that like, it like I started to grow within followers and it was like, people were, were interested into yoga because they were laughing and feeling good about it. It was changing the perception of what people thought of yoga from the past, from the past incidents. Mm-hmm. So then I told myself and I was like, Mike, like. Like you're doing something really big here. Like you're helping people get out of the past from that mental stress that was going on within that whole like joy scene and whatnot. So you should continue with this, build a community and give a whole new face to a yoga, like to where it's a positive environment, where people are not scared and it's more approachable for others, especially within Westerners, because after doing studies, like I'm a data guy. So I was looking up, noticing that like about 24% of the folks within the United States Mm -hmm. practices yoga and seven percent of them practice ashtanga and vinyasa yoga. So I was looking at it and I was like, okay, like this is, this is a breed that, that needs to grow, that has a lot of potential, but how do we make it happen? And that's by fixing the perception of yoga and by doing this, this PMA, this positive mental attitude, it changes people's perception on, on what ashtanga is.
1: Mm. Yeah. Can, can you speak more about what, what you'd heard about uh, the, the, the bad energy around it. Did you say, uh, do you say the Joyce thing? Is that, did yeah, you mention? The Joyce that?
0: scandal. Did
1: you hear that? Did you hear about yeah, that? Yeah.
0: How did you hear about that? What, like so, coming in? Cause you came in just like last year or yeah, I yeah. found that
2: out, like, I think like four months in, mm-hmm. but for me, it was more of like, I, I don't relate to that situation cause I'm a newcomer. I'm coming from the outside. Mm-hmm. So my main focus was just Ashtanga yoga by itself, but
3: mm-hmm.
2: I was hearing it from, from like, from the rumors and people who were like talking about it through Instagram, because Instagram right. was spewing a lot of like toxic energy on it and like mm-hmm. what it was and what, and what's not. And also within my RYT training as well, too, like they, they had a section just about the, 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 the perpetrators of yoga and people who destroy the industry. So, oh my goodness. so from there it was all like, I was like, Oh wow. Like, okay. I don't really feel comfortable even being a teacher after seeing all of this, like it made it very weird for me. So, so then it was like, all right, I'm just going to focus on just being that influencer and just, just helping it grow. So then mm-hmm. as I got there from time to time, that's when I started to see this whole, this whole like racism situation that was happening and spilling within Instagram about yoga. And I was, to me, it's like, me- I, do you, you mean like,
1: about uh, like a lack of diverse voices through yes, yoga? Is that what you mean? Voice. Yes, yes. Okay. I think
2: that's a better term. Okay. Um, because, because I was confused because, again, I'm coming from the outside world, so I don't know what's going on. And, <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm hearing this. And, but but for, for me, I'm the kind of person where, like, I want to sort of see the facts first before, before I jump into conclusions or jump into groups. Mm-hmm. So one thing that my sensei and I were, like both agreed on was that we're not going to fall into, like, picking sides and whatnot, because the only reason why we were in this practice is because we actually like practicing a yoga. But like, I don't mind connecting and networking with people, but I, my focus wasn't to, to bring controversy. My, my mm-hmm. focus was, was to build things together and to really create harmony <laughs> within, <laughs> within a shanga.
0: Yeah. Um, Beautiful. That
1: seems to be Harmony's job as well. <laughs>
0: yeah, we,
1: <laughs> we,
0: we connected on that and have been a part of a few different things. Yeah, yeah and I, I noticed that right away that you really were, um, you know, adding something that was really positive and um, beautiful to the practice and to the community and to the way people would relate to the practice. And it was, um, I think also, like you said, much needed to have a little lighter heart about what you're doing. Cause if, you know, if it's not enjoyable, you're yeah. not going to do it for very long.
2: Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and, I, and from there it was, it was, I was noticing that people were, were actually getting interested in trying yoga again. And yeah. then that's where I was like, okay, like, but then again, though, I'm still new I can't teach these folks. <laughs> like in their eyes, like, oh, like where would I, where can I learn? Where can I learn? But then again, it was like, okay, is there like is there a mainframe within a shanga Yoga? Like, is there like a center? And I noticed that there wasn't. So mm-hmm. this is where I started to notice that like there's different, there's there's like different teachers that are also doing sales and all, but there wasn't really like a main contact that I could that I could help people lead them towards. Mm-hmm. So from there, Eddie Stern. Was like became like my teacher, and then and then from there he helped me out into understanding that like it was more about having people understand why they're getting into yoga rather than just recruiting people into yoga. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm. Because yoga is a spiritual practice, and it's not it's not like a workout system or a program that that I should be that should be distributing. Mm.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I I think that's um, I think that's an important point. Is uh, and I think part of why we like doing the show is we like finding out from people uh you know what it is that led them to their you know come to jesus moment
2: mm-hmm.
1: i need to do some yoga and and really try to understand what it is that that br- brings people to that choice
2: yeah no for, for me on the spiritual side is, is that i grew up through a through a strong christian family
3: mm-hmm.
2: and my mom was like very like strictly religious. So in that sense, I, I still have that disciplined aspect growing up.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And once, once I split up with my family when I was 18, like mm-hmm. I kind of went on my own, but you, I, said you
1: split up with your family. And I, I guess uh, I've, I, on your website, you describe yourself as a uh, Ghanaian American, but you identify very strongly as Ghanaian.
2: Yes. I, as, as, an, as a Ghanaian American um, in the sense that I was born in Newark because my my mom and my dad were born in Ghana. They're both they were both born within the villages of Ghana.
3: So mm-hmm.
2: my mom was was born in Quo, whereas my father was born in Kumasi.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: So then, so, so then from there they they grew up with strong traditional roots. And I,
1: that, I'm uh, sorry, I, I didn't I didn't mean to interrupt. I I just wanted to I I I think that I've read. That in Ghana, the, the Pentecostal Christian faith is, is the maybe the strongest religious faith in, in the country. Is that correct?
2: Yes, absolutely okay. right. <laughs> okay, okay,
1: okay. And so your mother w- w- would identify, and she was a part of that strong, strong religious uh, uh, thinking. Yes. Okay.
2: So so pretty much like she was she was she was pretty she was pretty hardcore with it. Um, in the sense that she would also buy lotto tickets, stick it in the Bible. And then we will all surrounded, surrounded in a circle of prayer, hoping that that lotto will be the, the winning ticket. For the <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> okay.
0: No wonder I never won any lotteries. <laughs> well,
1: I mean, if someone had explained to me what, the, you know, how to do it.
0: Yeah. You know. <laughs> I would have been on that.
2: <laughs> wow. If that was, I thought I would have done that every day. But, but no, but, but pretty much like that was, that was kind of like the lifestyle. Like we're, we're very... Strict. My mom woke us up within a particular time, like early in the morning. Um, mm-hmm. My father reinforced it. From there, we went to school, and from school, we went straight home. We didn't go out, hang out with friends. We didn't have friends. It was very strict. There was no cell phone, no car, no privileges. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. once once I reached to eight, to age eighteen, that's when my my parents sort of decided that it was time for them to retire. My parents at that time were about fifty five, mm-hmm. and I had two older brothers. Where my older brother decided to move to California with my mother brother mm-hmm. so it means that I was going to stay here by myself where I was attending NGIT at the time. Mm-hmm. So that was the big pinnacle moment for myself to where it was like, I need to be really responsible for myself because no one's going to take care of me. I have to learn how to pull student loans for myself. I have to, I'm responsible for this house and boarding as well. So for the classes that I'm taking in my career going forward, because my father only reached up to high school in terms of knowledge. Mm-hmm. so so from there I didn't, I didn't have a role model anymore so then from there where we're like okay i need to figure out role models and the best way is, is to communicate and hang out with people that are older than me. so mm-hmm. so this is where i started to get myself into like meetup groups i used meetup.com where i discovered psychology groups and that's where i dove myself into psychology groups in new york where i started to learn about personality psychology mm-hmm. so I started to affiliate uh, i'm sorry
1: no, I just I understand the, that you had uh, spent a, you know, a, a long time, maybe a decade looking at like Myers-Briggs and really understanding where what you're all
2: about. Yes, because Myers-Briggs really helped me in understanding who I was And this. And, and what I mean by who I was was outside of my parents image of, of who I was, because mm-hmm. this was my first time living on my own. So I had to really understand who, who I who I am and then be able to understand and communicate with other people. Because my parents didn't, treat, didn't train me for that. So mm-hmm. because they had anxiety from the world, it, it, had, it sort of forced me to sort of learn things on my own.
1: You described it as a, as a split. Would you say that it was um, like a, a destructive split or an amicable split? I mean, how, how, how would you describe it?
2: It was, it was more of a split where they, they knew that they weren't able to support us anymore. Okay. So it was more of like we we have to go because we're tired and our older, and our oldest brother is was help, was supporting my parents at the time, but mm-hmm. until okay. he found a job in California, he wouldn't be able to support my mom and my dad anymore. I see. Right. So it, so it forced it to
1: that conclusion.
0: Yeah.
1: I, I want to ask you more about the anxiety that your parents may have may yeah. have felt in the world as as immigrants to uh, New Jersey. Uh, you mentioned the mid 70s and i was I was wondering um, about that I think um, I think it's sixty six in Ghana uh, inrume who is the the founder of Ghana uh, I mean there's talk that the CIA might have helped uh, you know plan the coup that overthrew his pan African uh, more liberal socialist government. Um, is, is that what, and there was a, there was a lot of chaos in the, in the following 10 years with the, the, the military, um, dictatorship. Um, is that what they were escaping? Were they, you know, closely aligned w- with, with that Pan-Africanism or, or were they just escaping chaos?
2: My parents, from, 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 my knowledge with my parents, it was more based off the, the situation that was going on with Ghana and Nigeria. And... Oh. And, and, because, and because of the politics that was going on within Ghana as well, so they were looking for, for a better life. they didn't see much of an opportunity, but there mm-hmm. were told by other Ghanaians that in the United States still be given the opportunity and be able to to do more that they, more than what they can within Ghana because within ghana there's, there's a very high extreme unemployment rate of thirty percent within the males in Ghana
0: mm-hmm. yeah wow
2: okay yeah that, that makes
1: sense so it was it was less so that you know, they were political um, um, what do they call that, political immigrants when you were escaping? Refugees. Political refugees in that they were escaping the, uh, in looking for better opportunities after, in that kind of the, the depression of the 70s.
2: No, no, it's, it's mostly, mostly because my father was an electrician mm-hmm. at Ghana. So, so there wasn't much like electrician jobs available for him. So, so then from there, he was able to transfer over to the United States to where he ended up working with PC&G as a meter reader. Okay, okay.
3: okay. Good.
1: Okay. But still, like moving to a new country, a new culture, um, that's, that's, it seemed like, it sounds like they created a little uh, more insular bubble for themselves and for your family and your house.
2: Yes, pretty much. They, they use that as a way for for them to, to help us get a better opportunity. And it's something that they have always told us because, because Ghana was very poor. At the mm-hmm. time, it was like sort of like a third world. Like, it, was, it, was, it was really tough to live over there. Mm-hmm. And they noticed that living in the United States, it was much easier in terms of finding a job and, and be able to create like a basic set of living off the job. So, mm-hmm. so my father, when he first started in the United States, he was working at a recycling center. Whereas my mom was working at was working at White Castle at the time. But oh. um, that's where they evolved and where my father worked, moved them from, from the recycling center to PSNG. PC, to and my mom ended up becoming home health aid for, for for a Jewish family. Okay. Wow. But okay. yes, yeah, so I didn't really get to see my mom much because my mom was a stay-at-home mom for right care of someone else. Whereas my father was working like over hours. So then my brothers pretty much were like my parents mm-hmm. that they were yeah. through because my parents were working enough to make that to make that living for us living in Elizabeth, New Jersey.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I I had a television that was who raised me. <laughs>
1: um yes Well so yeah you really kind of you really had to develop some kind of independence and in, and in how you were going to raise yourself and how you're going to define yourself and be yourself yes and it's, it's instead of going to the church you went in a different direction
2: and this yeah this this was my decision because i sort of grew out of the the church and the antics that was happening <laughs> so I'm um, this is where I this is where I moved more with from the idealism and more within pragmatic. Mm-hmm. And it was the sense that I was noticing that there was a lot of scams that were happening within my country as well, too, in terms of the prophets and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So people would people would say that they're a minister or, or a priest and they can cure people within days and whatnot. So my parents being being very devoted to like to the religion, they would they would fall into these schemes. And oh. made, yeah, and it made me very aware and very very cautious about, about groups such as that, where they were asking for loads of money in return of a better life or a better health and whatnot.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So my parents would end up losing a lot more money in the future because of that. So I always took that in mind when I was looking for like a place of belonging and whatnot.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and, and so yoga seems like the ideal place for someone like, wait a second.
0: as long as you don't go to india
3: (laughs)
1: well i'm I'm sorry i'm I'm sorry to make light of it but just that you know harmony and i are are also um aware of how much you know we've invested in in yoga and, and absolutely we've you know we've um prospered in our lives from it but sometimes you know we you know we wonder you know, certainly the people around us wondered if we were in a cult. You know, I remember when I gave hmm. the money to to Guy out of my student loans. My mother said, "Are you, are you in a cult?"
3: And <laughs> I was like, insane? "Well,
1: yeah, maybe. You know, but
3: it, <laughs> it, it, it's,
1: but it's you know, there's certainly there was so much that I was that I was getting out of it personally that that it made sense hmm. um, for me to make these choices and to make these commitments to you know go to India." um but you but you i'm sorry to bring it to bring it back to your story you, you found yourself in a more pragmatic field you started looking at at engineering and you yes. started you went to engineering and i i guess that made more sense for you
2: yes because i was i was very into computers when i was young and, mm. this, and this all happened for, from my uncle who, who gave us our first computer and from there like i i taught my parents how to use it and this is where like i got myself more and becoming more of a technician. So once I got into NGIT, my first major was electrical engineering because I wasn't, I didn't know the majors. I didn't know what, what like these fields were, but I knew that my brother had done electrical engineering. So I was like, okay, I'm going to hop over through his method and see how that goes. But mm-hmm. I only did it for a year. And then that's when I discovered IT and I was like, oh, IT actually does relate to what I want to do within this, within engineering, but in the IT perspective.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So, so that's when I made the transition over to IT. So within the scale, like within NGIT, it took me five years because I took the first year within electrical engineering. Right.
3: Okay.
2: But, but then I always told myself that, but for some reason I told myself, because I learned from these meetup groups that people were looking at your resumes and they'll, they'll critique based off the years you took within college and whatnot. So I told myself with, when I moved to IT, I need to take internships to where it would show these companies that, hey, like this guy has relevant knowledge within the corporate experience and has an understanding of it. So, mm-hmm. so, then from there, it was more. I started to focus myself more within within corporate in the sense that I knew that graduating, I'll be responsible for these student loans. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so, <laughs> and you can't dodge it. You can't. That's right. <laughs> yeah, as I learned
0: <laughs> the hard way. I <laughs> learned. Yeah,
1: I learned that I couldn't. I couldn't dodge it uh, at all. I had. I don't know what 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 you had. I had about a uh, a hundred grand that I owed. Yeah. No, with... I
2: reached up to 60. Now I'm down to 40,000.
1: Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. I, um, I fled the country thinking that might help. Um, so I...
2: <laughs> That's what my father did. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So
1: I was an economic refugee <laughs> in England and in Taiwan. And, um, so I lived overseas like 10 years, uh, and, um, every once in a while, like in Taiwan, like the desk girls got a call from this, like a, a student, a student loan guy, <laughs> you know, and she didn't know what to say, you know, and, but like the mo- the first day that I got a job in the States,
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, I was working as, um, I was working in the recreation department at Stanford.
3: Mm.
1: And I think I got a call from his, um, from a, um, a loan, what do they call those guys That that hunt you down those loan guys loan sharks
0: well <laughs> not a shark a uh, officer
1: oh the guys
0: CIRS. no no the guys lone that f-
1: that that uh their job is to find yeah, you once you're delinquent on your loans um <laughs> a
0: loan hunter the loan hunter
1: <laughs> they ca- they called within a week of getting my first job wow and yeah it's it's they it's you cannot escape
2: escape it yeah, no, they told me like once after the grace period, we're, we're hunting for you pretty much. Like it was like, yeah. <laughs> you know. It is, yeah. We're gonna
0: get our lone hunters on you. <laughs> it is
1: hunting. Yeah, it's a hundred percent hunting.
2: Yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah, but, but not, like, for me personally, I, because I came from, from, from the outside, I didn't see Ashtanga as a cult, but instead I saw it more, because only in the sense that it was a soft practice. And because I was told that it was a self-practice, I then confirmed with myself that I don't have to devote to going to a center all the time to, to, to prove my well-being or to prove my integrity to the group. Oh. I can still, still be away, practice on my own, and learn because this practice was a self-practice where you're building one within. That's
1: mm-hmm. well, yeah. an interesting point,
2: actually. But I would just I
1: would argue that that there are And I think I've given this advice to people that if, you know, very serious practitioners who have phenomenal practices, I've, I've said to them, it's like, well, you know, going to mice where people could see what you're, what you're capable of, which is a, which is a way, which is like a, that's a cultish behavior on my part. You know, like that's about, it's more about what, how you're perceived than what you're getting out of it.
2: Mm. Yes. which, I love that you said that. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: the re- reason being, and, and this is something that I really thought about in the sense that when I when because I, I obviously I started to work through the, the internet and mm-hmm. also going through Instagram as well. So you kind of get that same sense over there. So I told myself, I was like, Mike, when you go to a shalo, or when you go to your first studio, your first shallow, like you know they're all gonna be looking at me. Like, right. They and are I told myself that and it gave <laughs> me more anxiety. When I when I went to my first class, because I was sweating even more than I normally would. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Th- but it's true. They are looking at you. Yeah, they are everyone <laughs> is aware of you in the room. Everyone is like, oh, who's the new person? Oh my goodness. Look at that. Look how look how she wears her shorts.
0: You're like, I think that I think that's Beijitsu. Yeah. I think
1: that might yes. be Beijitsu. <laughs> I've seen him. Yeah. Yeah. It's Yep. It's,
0: it's interesting what happens when, I mean, you're coming to yoga and it being very much for yourself healing, for creating... Um, you know, a clear mental space so that you can focus positively on your future uh, to reduce anxiety over not having health insurance uh, to give you something to um, focus on, you know, for creating better health and wellness and uh, immunity in yourself. And, and then moving into sort of a more spiritual realm, um, focusing on how it's affecting your, your spirit. And then, all of that is so beautiful. And like you said, can be all be cultivated on your own, maybe with a little guidance from teachers or mentors, right? Yes. Um, And it's all really personal and it's really sacred in that way. Um, And then there's this other aspect where it's a little bit of the performance aspect. And for you that showed up on the Instagram or, you know, in a, in a class say or online um but like for others it might show up in like that making that trip to Mysore and performing your series in it, front of Sharat or and the a guru other, and
1: a hundred other people
0: right and so then it how much of it how much how do you keep those separate right like this sacred space for yourself but then also have this the performative aspect. And it's, it's a little bit of a, they're at war against each other because the one really starts to detract from the other in a sense. And and it's interesting. I'm curious how you've been able to, to maintain that sacred space for yourself, despite like having a very um, prominent online profile.
2: I'm I'm glad you said that. (laughs) I'm really glad you said that. Um, Because for me, this this is something that I I started to think myself in terms of like how people should enter yoga and, and whatnot.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And, and it was and I always retrace back to why why I practice. And it's because I wanted long, I wanted a long career within jujitsu. Mm-hmm. And I have to look at that as well, too, in the sense that most folks who practice jujitsu for over for over 10 years, they're not able to, they're they're very immobilized, like they're very like crunched up, they're, they're, they're oh. not like, it's almost like MMA fighters after. They don't have any recovery. So because right. of that, they don't care about their body. They just toss their body out and they just like waste it. I'm looking at it in the sense that by doing yoga, by keeping my, my, my body healthy because my sensei did the same thing. And, and I always hear people who always practice yoga that I wish I had done this earlier. And I'm like, Michael, th- this, is, this is like hints from the whole world telling you to get started right now and to focus on yourself. Because if you notice, the stories that people tell you aren't about what others thought about them, but it was more about self-reflection. So mm-hmm. then I felt that right there, if, if I was going to come into yoga, it was going to be a lot of self-reflection. And this is where I spoke with, with Guy and Eddie. <laughs> <I'm done>. <laughs> <laughs> this where I was talking with, with Eddie in the sense that I, I don't see asanas the way people would see asanas on, on Instagram, in terms of like, this is, the, this is my level, Another ambulance. <laughs> so I live by a hospital. It's called oh. St. Mike's.
0: <laughs> it's named after you?
1: Yes. It's really amazing. Yeah, <laughs> Wow, achievement that you could have such an important impact on your community
2: that they would name the hospital after you. <laughs> no, but, but like for, for me, it was more like I saw the asanas as pieces of the stresses that I wanted to tackle within myself. Mm-hmm. And and I started in that sense because I was I was complaining within myself. I wasn't complaining to other people, I was complaining to myself, like Mike, like, like I can't believe like right now you don't have a job, like you don't have health insurance, you're not making, you're not making the same six figures, like you're not making over six figures like you're making, you're collecting unemployment. I was really hard on myself.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: within those asanas, as I was going through within my own practice, I was going through that same ridicule and I was tackling it. And I was like, why am I being so hard on myself? And I was like, I just need to breathe. And I need to take a step back. I just need to breathe a little bit. Mm-hmm. And from there, yoga itself was teaching me how to discipline myself within jujitsu because jiu-jitsu, I compete on, on, a, on, a, on an athlete level. Like I go to tournaments and I'm competing for world championships this year. So I was telling myself that to relieve that stress when I'm in the match, to learn that breathing, that breathing is what I was mostly focused on. It wasn't much about going into Muji and d and posting it to my sensei. My sensei doesn't care. He's more focused on how I'm performing within jujitsu based off the knowledge that I've gotten from yoga.
3: Mm-hmm. So, how am I
2: applying it into, into jujitsu? And now, my focus now isn't really about performing right now in shalas and whatnot, but it's more of how am I using yoga now to influence folks within jujitsu to actually practice yoga because they're watching your skill set from someone who's 32, who's going at it like he's 25.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amazing. That's interesting. I, uh... So I was looking at um, your career a little bit and looking that you, you, you said you were at Bloomingdale's. Uh, I see, I saw that you were at Ted Baker, Dolce and Gabbana, L'Oreal.
0: Oh, you're so jealous.
1: Yeah, actually I was Ted Baker's (laughs) my my favorite. Uh, Actually I would have, yeah, if I could work at Ted Baker. Um, I wonder, I just, I wanted to, I want to ask you about how you got into, to jujitsu, but just to. To segue there, mm-hmm. I wanted to ask if is it important in IT that if you're in um, the retail aspect that you stay in retail? Is there something about the kind of IT that you do that applies directly to that, or were you were you just very attracted to those industries?
2: So I, I fell into the industry from a recommendation from a friend. Mm-hmm. So so the manager at the time was an NJT alumni and. Um, he had asked me. He's like, "Hey, Michael, um, there's a position open that I'm look. I'm looking for someone who's in IT that knows databases. And I, and I was a database guy within IT. You're working a lot within SQL. And my favorite, my favorite, like coding language was was SQL. Mm-hmm. So I would use this coding language to pretty much create reports from databases. And a majority of retail companies, because they're using like sales, and they're always looking for sales reports or looking for people who can upgrade the prices or fix prices and whatnot." basically the things you see behind the register was the stuff that I was monitoring and controlling and, and processing. Hmm. So I was doing a bit of database administration with, within the retail companies. So it, it became very easy for me to transition in the sense that I had the retail knowledge, but as well as the IT experience. So it was easy for me to transfer from, from those companies. So it also made me universal because I understood databases for all for, for like different industries as well. too cause they were all using Microsoft databases. I see,
1: you know, we, we spoke to an engineer from South Korea recently, Mm -hmm. and we asked her, how did she, you know, did she feel conflicted about engineering versus yoga? And she said, no, they're very much the same thing in her mind (laughs) that, you know, she was just, you're putting a into B and make and and then B goes into C and then that's how yoga is made. And it was, and so (laughs) do you feel that as well? You feel that you're, your drive for engineering and databases and
2: proper placement, <laughs> it, it's, a, it's aligned right with yoga. It made it easier for me to understand Ashtanga Yoga because of that, because I was very familiar with sequences and flows. Mm. Within IT, there's a flow chart within everything, like SCLC life cycle, or for project management, the PMBOK. Everything has a, has a, starts from A to Z, and it's through memorization. So you're always getting deep into understanding complex terms. But what I was learning as well, too, was because I was also not only technical, but I was also on the functional side. So
0: mm-hmm. you're
2: also learning the, the deep aspects, but learning how to communicate it to other people that may not be technical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, yeah, that's helpful.
2: Yeah, that would be helpful to us. And <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> I was putting like analogies together. I was like, if you're able to understand Ashtanga Yoga, you'll be able to teach folks within Jiu and I just kept telling myself that. So I was like, okay, learn as much as you can within Ashanga Yoga. So, what I started out with was I would have the sheet right in front of me when I was practicing. And mm-hmm. it was a like full flow chart. And I would go over it by the Sanskrit because mm-hmm. I understood from Instagram is what influenced me to understand the Sanskrit first. Mm-hmm. And also, for, and also Guy as well, too. But it was more because of the Instagram crowd. I was like, okay, if I see an asana, I'm going to know, I'm going to understand it through, through the Sanskrit term before the English term. So I would quiz myself, and I would look through the hashtag, and I know from the hashtag, there's going to be a dump of, of different asanas being seen. So I was like, okay, we're only going to focus on primary series asanas, and we're going to call those out as we see it, Michael. So we'll go, we'll see a pose, and we're like, okay, that, that's, that's kukutasana, that's garbapandasana, that's chikanasana. And from there, it was almost like a mini quiz. So Instagram became this little game for myself where I would I would use it as a way for me to study my to study Sanskrits without being boring to myself.
0: That's so cool. Yeah, that's <laughs> nice. I've never heard of anyone learning asanas this way. <laughs> that's <laughs>
2: nice. Yeah. I mean, how else do you memorize anything?
0: That's incredible.
3: Yeah. <laughs> flashcards.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like
0: the Instagram flashcard system. Yeah. <laughs>
1: so you were working in in this industry, uh, doing databases for um, fashion houses for uh, say ten years. Yes. And were you doing jujitsu the whole time, or was that was that something that that happened recently as well?
2: I didn't. I wasn't able to join a gym until until 2018. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I, so I found Clockwork 2018 through through a Yelp review. And what influenced me to go to their gym was that my sensei said in, in, in the slogan, we, were, we will remember your name. And as silly as it sounds, I, I kind of found it to be a, like appealing. Like for, some, for some reason, I was curious. I was like, all right, this guy, means if he's saying he's going to know your name, that means he actually wants to get to know you. He's a personal yeah. guy.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So, so it influenced me to go to the gym. It wasn't much of like the other gyms where it's like, oh, come get tough with me and whatnot. I wasn't really focused on that because my perception of jiu-jitsu was more of like an art style and it was more of just a way of relieving stress in the sense of putting myself in a fight-or-flight situation and being able to to calm myself down hmm. so oh. i joined the gym signed up for it and then from there he walked me through it was i would use it to help me to help relieve stress that i was going through within work because Working in IT can be really stressful. Like it wasn't much of looking at people as my boss and be like, ah, now I get to choke you, ah. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. But as useful more, as that might be. <laughs> as useful, but it's really <laughs> beneficial. But what I would use it for was more of actually communicating with people and learning how to articulate. So mm. I'm learning these postures and I'm learning not to stress myself because in jujitsu, you, you sort of learn that as you're flowing and you're going through a flow, you actually have a better a better match than someone who's very anti-aggressive and whatnot. And teach, And Jujitsu teaches you that the smaller person can outmatch the bigger person, all by being calm and understanding the opponent.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: That's a, I, I did wanna know, you know, what it is that, you know, that called you to, to finding something. And it sounds like that, that you were aware of your own personality and you were aware of maybe being a high energy person Mm. That needed a tool, a technique to calm yourself at, at work. And so that that's that's what you were drawn to.
2: Yeah. Anything that's like stimulating like my mental my mental ability is something mm-hmm. that like I fall in love with. And if it's deep and if it's complex, then it allows me to fall deeper. So if I'm ever stressed about other things, I could always revert to those things to think about.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You'd probably really like the Enneagram.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'll put <laughs> the Enneagram as well, Tell them. Five, five wing six yeah
0: you're a five wing six
2: i i'm i we think
0: we think Russell's a four wing five ah yeah
1: that's what people tell me and
0: i'm a three wing i don't know if it's a four or a two <laughs> Probably it too, but I don't.
2: I know the numbers, but I don't know too much. <laughs> yeah, but these, but these
1: sort of mathematical equations of structuring a person and trying to understand, you know, how they operate in a particular framework, mm-hmm. depending, you know, the, the, and that's how they manifest their number. That would also really appeal to you, Michael, wouldn't it?
2: Yes, I. That's what that's what encouraged me to learn Myers Briggs because Myers Briggs Myers Briggs was the same way, where you're categorized yeah. based off introversion, extroversion. How people would collect data through theories or facts, whether their decision making was based off obje- of like objectives or subjects, and if they're living a routine life or they're living a sporadic lifestyle.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that Myers Briggs is really interesting too. I love, I love the personality typings.
1: Yeah, you do. Um, do Do you identify as as
2: an introvert who has to be extroverted on occasion? I, I find myself to be. Introverted, but but I know that I need to be extroverted in this world in order to in order to reach to the areas that I want to get to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In the sense that I learned it from a book that I read from from Susan Cain um, called "Quiet: The Power of Introverts," and mm. that's where I started to get an understanding on on the United States and the world itself, and that they they promote and they they look up to to the to the ideal extrovert,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and it's by that person who communicates with the world. And from reading that book, I learned how how I could communicate with people and also still be the introvert person that I am and I learned that okay within small groups is where I can be most comfortable being an extrovert compared Mm -hmm. to a large crowd Mm -hmm. so it also taught me that if I ever became like an Ashtanga yoga teacher I'm not doing like a large stadium of 300 students I find that to be silly for me because I can't pay attention to everybody at once.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So I'm, I'm more of like the introverted where I'll have like probably like 10 students and whatnot, where I'm able to pay to pay mine to those students through through my store through the like class. That's, mm-hmm. that's my focus with an introversion. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of us Mysore teachers are introverted people. <laughs> we get to work with small groups and be quiet and <laughs> work with our hands, I, I, say the I, occasional thing. <laughs> that was the
1: great thing for me. What really attracted to me about Guy is that he just wouldn't talk, and yes. I, really,
3: like, I really liked
1: that. And like that for me, that that I. I was attracted to that kind of culture and I wanted to teach that way myself. And Mm -hmm. I have this picture in my mind of, of guy sitting there at his desk and someone asking him a question or me answering a question and him just looking up and just nodding. (laughs) And then you realize like, Oh, he's not going to answer a question. I'm just going to walk away.
2: (laughs) Is he still, does he still do that? He's, his persona has, has never changed. And, and that's why I like, that's why I have so much respect for him. Mm-hmm. In, in the sense that when, when I first met him, he didn't talk. He just shook my hand and just nodded his head. Mm-hmm. And from there, I just assumed that, okay, this is what he's trying to say, Mike. We're doing charades with each other. <laughs> <laughs> and then I just told myself and I was like, no, Mike, use this as a perception of, he's like that Asian Kung Fu master. And you're that kid who yeah. came to the
1: dojo. Yeah, he's the ma- he walks the earth. <laughs> he walks yeah. the land. Yeah. And if you're
2: able to make him smile, you've done something.
3: Right. <laughs> so yeah. that was my
2: focus. So whenever I practiced around him, like I would always, for some reason, I would go extra for some reason. And then when mm-hmm. I saw him smile, I'm like, yes, Michael, like nothing matters anymore. Instagram doesn't matter. No one matters. You made guys smile for the day. That's all that counts.
0: Right. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that was my mission. Yeah. That yeah.
2: So cool. That's fantastic. But, but I love, but I love teachers like that because it, it, it gave me. It, he sort of gave me that the dialectal behavior theory of the therapy style, where it was more of like, Mike, this is good, but you can do better. Mm-hmm. And it always left me with that mentality. And it wasn't where like it was abusive and whatnot, but it was very encouraging and it was very empowering. And where where it grew my practice like tremendously because it was like, I'm doing all this just to make guys smile <laughs> and then mm-hmm. I like I can make everyone else I can impress everyone else but if it's not impressing guy then I haven't done enough for myself mm-hmm. and I was using that but then as time went by I started to, to use that for myself and I was like Mike look at what you've done like you created such a high limit and reached close to it and yet you still think that you're still at the bottom yet in reality you made it farther than than what you thought you could Right.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's helpful to have a sequence of postures that's always the same, so that yeah, you have I- a, a baseline that you can watch your progress.
2: Yeah, and and that's what I love about it. Like Ashtanga yoga keeps the same practice, and, and so I don't have to switch on Monday legs days, well Tuesday's arms and whatnot. Like I'm able to see deeper because I'm able to focus on this on my thoughts. I'm able to focus on myself, my spirit, my well-being. What am mm-hmm. I thinking about? What am I like? Like, what's bothering me? What? Why is it bothering me? It's almost like I'm going through like this whole therapy within myself as I'm as I'm going through the practice, and I'm not stressing because the drishti and the breathing is is keeping me calm and relaxed. So mm-hmm. then I'm like, okay, if I'm facing anything in real life where it's, where it may be stressful, I just need to revert back to the asanas that I was breathing like earlier this morning, where I was totally calm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. It is,
1: and. I'm I'm still interested in this in this moment when you're you were talking about competitively, um, uh, I guess it's fighting, yes. Com- yeah, competitively <laughs> competitively fighting in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and trying to find the space of flow uh, and a space of calm and how people um, who can who can master that
2: um, are more superior. Fighters, I, th- I think, is what you said. Ashtanga yoga has definitely made a huge impact within jiu-jitsu in that sense, in the sense that now, like, even my sensei sees it, I've been a lot calmer within, mm-hmm. within my sparring rounds. Like, I feel like there's not much need to do more than, than I have to anymore, because now that I've understood the body through yoga and, like, from, from the online teaching, and I think the online teaching really helped in the sense that I needed to learn the anatomy, because communication was gonna be our way of understanding my body and how, and how they were gonna to communicate to my body. So I need to know where my hips were. Um, I need to know where my scapula was, where the lumbar is of this, and, and understanding all that. So, so from there, it's like, okay, now I'm understanding more about my body. Now I'm able to, to apply that jiu-jitsu because now I can't create this ideal thing that someone's gonna beat me up. I know their body and I know how far their body can go. And I know most people can't perform a Lotus so in certain situations, I'm putting them in a situation where they can't move or they're immobile because I've held their hips in a certain way where they're immobilized. So now I'm understanding um. their limbs and their functions and whatnot. So Asanga Yoga, by learning my body and learning my capabilities, I'm understanding my opponent's capabilities and their bodies as well, too. That's amazing.
1: I, I wonder if you could help us and help some of our listeners at home yes. understand what Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is. How and is it and how or is it different from Japanese uh, Jiu Jitsu, if I'm pronouncing that right?
2: Yes, totally. Um, it was Gracie Jiu Jitsu. And the, it, was, it, it all started for, from, from the Gracie family that had taken Jap- Japanese Jiu Jitsu and mm-hmm. inherited it over to Brazil to where, they po- where it became popular. So at the time, that's where it grew up to become Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And then the Gracies had then moved over to California through through this MMA event called UFC. And from oh. there, it was popularized. And that's when jiu-jitsu became popular within the U.S.
1: UFC fighting is jiu-jitsu fighting.
2: It's almost. It's, it, UFC fighting is a mix of different martial arts. Oh, okay. Whereas jiu-jitsu is non-striking. You're not striking the opponent. So you so nowhere are you kicking and whatnot. This is all using grappling. And this was all used because at... The time of Japan, when, when the villagers didn't have weapons, they would use jitsu to hold and control their opponents, as they didn't have any any tools or weapons.
3: Right. Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: So it's a very so it's non strike. Mm-hmm. So because of that, it's also the most advanced style of martial arts, because you're learning how to how to control your opponent without without striking them. Right.
1: And that then makes sense why understanding, uh, say, hip rotation and, and how much mobility your opponent has then you can understand how to control
2: your opponent. Yes, I almost feel like I'm an adjuster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Full on. Yeah, exactly.
2: quite, quite quickly.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you it's it's a funny thing. It's um you you can uh you start to like when you're just walking through an airport or you're in public mm-hmm. and you're just sitting there like you know waiting for a flight or waiting for the next thing it, it becomes a force of habit where you look around and you, you can see exactly what someone can do with their spine or can't do. You can, you can look at the fluidity of someone's body. You can see um, you know, how muscle bound they are or not, or, or you, know, you can see injuries in their gait. These things all become apparent actually. And it's, it's, it's a little bit like x-ray vision at times.
2: It's impressive that you said that because Guy noticed that from me. Initially, he noticed mm. that I wasn't going to be able to do triang Mukhi Kapada Pachimotanasana because he looked at my feet.
1: Mm, and,
3: yeah.
2: and he noticed that my feet was pointing outwards. Yeah. And then he told me that every morning walk my feet straight because yeah. he noticed that my, my knees are, are are off. And I looked at him I was, I was like, I was like, you're, you're kind of weird here. Like <laughs> yeah, you've never seen yeah. me before. I'm an athlete. How could you tell me that I can't do something because because you're looking at my feet that's been outwards. Like people's feet are outwards. Everyone's feet's outwards. <laughs> if,
1: if they're outwards, then the hip rotation is naturally out, but trikonasana, I mean uh, Terry Yang is naturally in. Yeah. So it's the opposite.
2: Yeah. And then from there, I was like, guy, I'm gonna zip my mouth, <laughs> all ears or whatever you say, I will listen. Yeah. <laughs> my body more than I did. And the moment right. that to me was impressive.
1: And that habit of always having your feet out is why uh, padmasana or the lotus position is a little bit easier for you.
2: Yes, yes. And then you also oh, taught me new, new yeah. things as well too, such as moving the calf flesh as well too, when entering and, and having the, the heel touch the belly button. And I would have known this because I would normally do lotus before as a kid and I'll play around with it, but I didn't know, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I was putting left yeah. foot, foot first and I wasn't putting sure. it correctly. But yeah. the guy was teaching me the right method. And then from there, it was like, Oh, okay. Like this is how I could do it safe way without, without screwing my knees or blowing my knees up. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Can I, can I tell you one of the most embarrassing things that ever happened to me? <laughs> sure, Would you yes. like to hear this?
2: Yes. Um, start, start for the sounds. This is,
1: I got the, I got, this is how I got the nickname, Rusty, the racist.
3: <laughs> oh <my>
1: <laughs> <gosh>. <laughs> um, so I'm in, I'm teaching yoga in Oxford and, um, I, someone asked me this question, why do you do the right foot first and instead of the left foot first? Mm -hmm. And, uh, I said, well, I I didn't really answer the question technically because there's no, it's, 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 there's no rational reason why Mm -hmm. it's, it's just a force of cultural habit, you know? And so uh, I knew that in India they call they called it white lotus versus black lotus. Black lotus is left foot first. White lotus is right foot first.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, somebody and so somebody said, "Well, you know, it, it seems like uh, just as they said, it seems um, white centric. Uh, white centric.
0: It seems right <laughs> centric.
1: Yes, it seems white and right centric. <laughs> it seems both those things." Um, it seems like, uh, it's just, um, not irrational, but, uh, uh arbitrary. arbitrary. It just seems arbitrary. And I said, well, yeah, sure. I said, well, I want to do the left foot first. I feel like I should do the left foot first every once in a while. And, uh, and I said, well, yeah, go ahead and go, you know, worship your black God. <laughs> and every there's like the room just went really quiet for a moment <laughs> i'm like oh that may not have been the best thing to say and uh there's a there's a guy in the room tim who's african english um and tim said not that this, there's not that there's anything wrong with that
0: i'm like oh
1: <laughs> Fuck. this is the worst experience of my life right now okay, okay. yeah fun. and that that um that nickname stuck for a while <laughs> <That>
0: was... <sighs> come on
1: <laughs> so just to say for the people listening at home that there's a, it's, you don't have to do the right foot first
0: but if you're but if you're in india you should do the right foot first <laughs> you,
2: know, you know what's funny so in the book there was a book that i that I, that I purchased uh, from from Mount um mm. oh yeah about, uh, yeah talking about the right foot first supposedly like it cleans up it cleans like the spleen
0: yeah, wow. that's supposed to put the heels are supposed to push into your spleen and your Damn. liver.
2: That's bullshit. The like the left side does nothing. Period. That's but it.
0: you know, I think it really comes from this. In in Buddhism,
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh the enlightened um you know, the pictures of Buddha are always left foot first, then right foot. And that was done um in my understanding perhaps there's buddhist scholars listening that have a different understanding but what i was taught was that that was done as a reaction to this tradition in india of the right foot first then the left foot because also in india the right is like the side that you do all of your holy acts with it's the side of the body you know you eat with your right hand you worship god with your right hand everything is very right centric. Wow. My mom is yes. the same way. My,
2: my mom, like I, I'm, I'm actually born a lefty, I was actually a left-handed. Oh, really? Oh, oh, like I want yeah. a lot of a lot of discipline to go yeah. right. Yes. <laughs>
0: that's that's yeah, that's, that's old school. Because yeah.
1: sinister is Latin for left. Yeah. It's it's hmm. the demon hand.
0: Yeah, it's very like it's like an ancient sort of uh prejudice i it's guess it's an
1: ancient bigotry
0: yes I, guess. I, think
2: like, I think my parents like feared it really bad and, and then they noticed i was a lefty and they're like no you're going right <laughs> <laughs> right everything has moved to the right when i was like age five
3: And wow then I'm like, no. No. When
2: I play like pool this pool was the only thing that i played it because i had like a little toy of it mm-hmm. but I still as a left as a lefty, as a lefty. Mm-hmm. wow that's the only relevant thing i have as a left hander wow
0: that's that's amazing my brother is also left-handed but my mother grew up in a school where all the left handed people were forced to use the right hand, learn with their right hand as well.
2: Yeah, and no, she society. was,
0: yeah, she was not that way. She yeah. let him stay left handed.
2: Yeah, they're, they're not diverse for the left handed folks. <laughs>
0: no <laughs> no but so there's this ancient like i don't know i think it must be cross-cultural i don't know who knows where it came from well, I, I, I
2: probably i probably would probably jump to the left instead of jumping to the right before if I was. Right. Yeah, for sure
0: yeah you should
1: you should, you should <laughs> totally do that and i always i always kind of thought it was you know it was irritating you know like, you should just you should, you know, use the left foot first every once in a while. I, like Iyengar would talk about that. You know, you should be balanced. And then I started teaching in a Meister room. And, I, and I, then I like it suddenly made total sense why you'd want everybody doing exactly the same thing, jumping the same way, going to the right foot first. Because you have no idea what's going on in there if, if it, people go to the left first or if, or if half the room is turned the other way. I see that it's chaos at that point it's like oh i can't i can't deal with this this is too confusing and if it's complicated you know people don't like that so they they don't want to make you know left-handed well, chairs for people so they're going to. They
2: very strict about about everything being passed on through words because they want to keep it simple yeah,
1: yeah. make it easier to understand for the teacher
2: yeah
1: yeah I wanted, to, I wanted to get back to your to your beautiful lotus. Did, so did um, Did you sit on the ground a lot? Did, you, did Is that something that happens in Ghana? I want to know how
0: you got the hips did, open so Because much. in
1: Korea, you know, people sit on the ground to eat, and that's how they get beautifully open hips. Is, this, is that something that you did growing up?
2: Very, very silly. You do to really think I'm silly for this. But it, You had Nintendo, that's no, what. <laughs> no, because we had the chairs at the office, oh, the, the, the wheelie chairs. Mm -hmm. And I'll always put my my foot, my leg leg over and I'll have it in like a fire, in like a fire log position always.
0: Right. Yeah.
2: Because one one thigh will get sore. So then I'll move it as a way to relieve the the soreness from the thigh from sitting in the office for eight hours.
1: Right. Yeah.
2: So all of this, I didn't know that it was opening my hips. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Just sitting at my desk doing that. And the guy was like, "Okay, that's why you're able to do it on one side instead of the other. Right. So then we had to work on adjusting it as we developed. So, so then from there, that's when he had he had advised, and I was talking to him about that I did Bikram before prior. Yeah. So I was gonna use the same tactics that I used in Bikram. And he's like, everything that you learned from Bikram, just move it over to Ashtanga because you already know it already. And I was like, right. So I'm okay. gonna keep the temperature within like 90 degrees, 95. Yeah, drink the water so I'm hydrated before practice go through the practice because it's relevant to, to Bikram because Bikram is almost like an hour, hour or two. So it was easier for me to use this heat and then imagine as if I'm in the same Bikram class that I was at before. Right. So Bikram, I, I got into during when I was at Ted Baker. This was about like five years ago. And this was happening because I my HR, my HR resource was noticing that I was going through a lot of stress because I was handling the rules for two people in IT. hmm and she offered me a free class, like a free month of Bikram yoga. And this was the first time going to like my first like yoga studio for, for Bikram, not, not a Shanga. Mm-hmm. So I went through the first class. Like I didn't know what I, was, what I was doing. Like I wasn't really like welcome. It was more of like go find a seat and like get yourself started and whatnot. So I was like, all right. Like I was super nervous because of that. And like my anxiety was going up. But then I told myself, I was like, I'm just going to sit in the back because I'm, I don't want to look like a fool. So I'm going to sit in the back and then look at what they're doing and then study the sequence, because it's a sequence as well too. So this is where I got the early sense understanding that a yoga was gonna be the same way. Right. Interesting. Because I, 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 I saw a,
1: a TikTok of, of yours, um, uh, I asked, that's why I was asking about the hips, because well, I'm gonna have to back up, but I, I was just, all of this, all of this um, development in your hips was all through the office and, and not actually something that you, you picked up at home. It was, uh, though you said you did used to do um, Lotus as, as a kid, just playing around with it.
2: Yeah, because I, I had it earlier as a kid because I was wrestling in high school.
1: Okay. Mm. Okay.
2: Yeah, okay. So I, wrestled, so I wrestled with Elizabeth High School, but yeah. it wasn't much of like, it wasn't like jiu-jitsu and whatnot. It was like, okay, like my parents finally allowed me to do like one sport for one year and whatnot. So okay. I uh, went ahead and I did that. So I, so I gained flexibility. And you'll notice that like a lot of wrestlers are very flexible. And again, right. from wrestling as well. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. It helps with the, with the wrestling, I think yeah. to be really flexible. Right.
2: Yeah. So then going to jujitsu, jujitsu really opened it even more because again, people are opening your hips and they're, they're manipulating your limbs and your body constantly in jujitsu. And you're yeah. doing this with extreme weather, extreme heat as well. too. so not knowing this guy was like, all right, you're doing a good job. Just keep that same heat, that same perception of yoga, which, which you'll get sore jujitsu is the same. The same soreness relates to yoga as well. too. So that was the mentality I told myself when I was doing a So I was like, "All right, when I practice ashtanga, if I get sore, it's just like jiu jitsu soreness. Just keep doing it the next day, and just keep doing it. Just keep doing it, and it'll go away." Okay. Did
0: you know? Did you notice that you got really sore the first yeah. like few weeks?
2: Hated me for a week. <laughs> yeah, because of the stretch. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I
1: because I I saw this video of you doing Karandavasana and it was fascinating. And I think all of our listeners know what that pose is, the Himalayan wild duck pose, where you're on your forearms, go into lotus, bring your knees down to your your triceps, bring them back up. It's, I think of the thousands of listeners that we have, you know, maybe three of them can do it. Wow. And it's, it's incredible. Did you
2: teach yourself how to do that or did Guy walk you through it? Guy didn't walk me through it. I learned that one myself. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of applied the things that I've learned from Guy and as well as Jeff and mm-hmm. into, into, into Karanda. So, so I started out first with Parsifal Tanasana first. Yeah. And that's where I learned from Jeff that I need to inhale. And my inhales, I really need to understand my inhales. As I was going up, and as yeah. I was down, I, I control my exhales.
1: Exactly. So,
2: so then I started first with Sursasana just to be safe.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And yeah.
2: I was just focusing on just getting myself into Lotus, folding it, and then inhaling when I was ever lifting back up. So it was like muscle memory. Right. And then I would go through those trials and runs by understanding pinch next. I was like, all right, now I have to understand holding myself into pinch up because pinch is another thing. So yeah. I was breaking the two together. Right. So it was like one of it, Calm down zone. <laughs> one of it was controlling the lotus through Susasana, and then the other one was just controlling my, my balance within pincha and then finally putting them together yeah mm. it's amazing because
1: it's 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 really a phenomenal achievement to to do it to have taught it you know taught yourself how to do it and there was just there's i had so many questions
2: and i was like how how did this happen <laughs> uh. <laughs> the guy did help me he helped me with marichi d okay so that that he helped me out with and from their understanding that and from him telling me when to inhale when to exhale because he was very because i really learned the pranayama, and, and from understanding the breathing as well helped me through understanding the jump throughs because jump throughs is understanding inhales and exhales as well too to mm-hmm. be able to hold yourself and to go through the legs and to do the l sit sit
3: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yeah
1: yeah, yeah I, c- I could see that watching you do your vinyasas, you, you reminded me a lot of, of sharat, actually. Wow. Um, both of you uh, are, have a lot of uh, muscle density, and you have a shorter to- torso with longer limbs. Yes. And so as I, as I watched you jump through, there was a very similar way of moving your body, given the constraints of your proportions, to Sherat. I said, oh, this is interesting. This guy has a lot in common with
2: him. Huh. I guess Sharat should, should try jiu-jitsu as well, too.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I
2: think
1: he'd really like it. Um, I, I wonder how your, how your backbend is. And maybe uh, we, never really, we never really kind of explored people's
2: practices like this. But I'm just, yeah. I'm just interested. I'm, I'm open. Um, I, can, I can't do dropbacks. I can't do TikToks. I, okay. I sort of... I can do setu, I can do urdhva-dhanurasana, I can perform kapo, um, ustrasana. Lago, I'm still working on coming up from it. But, okay. Yeah, but mostly with the back, I don't have that much back flexibility. But okay. I know from the books that it's like like emotional, like, uh, uh, like uh, yeah. emotional, so I'm, I'm guessing like I got to cry more. <laughs> yeah, You're, there's a lot of... I learned it in Guy's class
1: and it was... Um, it was so much about exploring the depths of of my own personal fear mm. and what i what i was so totally afraid of that i had turned my body into like a little little turtle or like a jackrabbit like a little rounded please don't hurt me body mm. and guy ripped all of that open <laughs> yes. And I'm looking forward to that experience for you. <laughs> Thank you.
3: <laughs>
1: I couldn't sleep. I could barely sleep. I was so terrified of waking up because that's the last thing I, would, I wanted to do was have to wake up and do, and do backbends with Guy. That I would, I would actually, I put off going to bed because I knew that the moment I went to sleep, I'd have to open my eyes again. <laughs>
2: Back, back, back bends. Back bends are, are killer. a killer. A guy assigned me like, some tools to do for, for, for dropbacks. Really? I, I kind of stopped because I, it, it would hurt for a while. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can't, be normal. you can't be a normal human being because you've done dropbacks for the morning. So I was like, nah, I don't really need dropbacks. I, I just kept telling myself, like, what do I really, really need? And I just told myself, I just really need to do primary series and probably like five years down the line, second series full like intermediate, mm-hmm. but yeah. I'm, not, I'm not in no way, no rush. And I felt like Instagram and the community and like the, the people around Instagram, like my followers were sort of like encouraging me to keep pushing myself more and more and more. Mm-hmm. But, then, but then I kept telling myself, I was like, Mike, in reality, you probably should have stopped that. the Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, so, so that's where I kind of felt, I kind of felt guilty in myself and because I knew the tradition, I knew that I skipped, skipped steps. And I spoke to Eddie Stern about this. And I was like, I kind of feel bad being in an intermediate class. I feel like I don't belong here. I feel like this is totally unfair for other people. Mm. And I feel like it may raise some flags and whatnot. And, mm. he, he, and he told me that as long as he's the one that does this, that's administrating it and he's, he's allowing me to do it, that's totally fine because he works with Guy Donahue. And if Guy gives the okay with it, the guy was like, pretty much if, if Eddie says yes, then I say yes too, kind of thing. So I was like, all right. Uh, yeah. so like, I guess I'm giving the approval. So I'll, I'll do this. But... In no way do I practice any asana outside of my practice. Like you won't find me doing like, like not crossing the, Like you'll find me like a, in a photo doing not crossing the but it's not something I do every day. I'm right. Not, Eddie Stern walks me through, like I don't do second series unless I'm with a teacher.
1: Yeah. And that's exactly what we all do. We all screw around with all kinds of impostures, And then when we're in class, we kind of button it down yeah. for the orthodoxy. Totally. What What was that like going into a class? For the first time because i saw an instagram that you did recently um about about the first time you walked in and i, I guess things are maybe opening up a little bit mm. and and i think you talked about what this, class was it the sound of the ashtanga yoga room mm. the sound of the meister room like, what did it's that must have been really different for you
2: if it, it was very different in the sense that it was my first time going to to an ashtanga yoga shower and it, like, it went, like it to actually like attending an actual class, and just going over there. Like, I was walking through the stairs, and you could you could hear the breath. Right. So then I was like, Mike, it's like a library. You just gotta be quiet. So I was even like walking like, on my tippy toes going through the stairs, and the stairs was like making creaky sounds. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, Mike, you're making too many sounds. You gotta stop with it because you're interrupting it. And I, just, really? I didn't want to interrupt it at all. Like it was almost as if like it's like like you just saw like a butterfly like resting on a flower. And it's so beautiful and you don't want to touch it by, 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 by getting close to it. So yeah. I stood like super far from the room and I just waved my hand until the teacher looked at me. That was, that was my way <laughs> of the <teacher>. like, <laughs> like, <what laughs> to the too. Like, I'm the straight master. Like, I'm almost about like- That's going. fantastic. But I didn't. I never wanted to interrupt the class. So I waited for him to come. He whispers. I was like, all right, that's the tone so that, that I'll follow. So he's whispering, I'm whispering back. He tells me, like, go get ready. or like, what would, I, what would I like to do today? And I told him that I'm prepared to do primary series and a little bit of to capo. And he mm-hmm. said, oh, he gave me the okay with it. And I was like, all right, thank you. So that was and- my that. He told me where to sit. And, I was, and then once I got into the room, it was like, there's way too many people that I didn't know last year. Like, now I have to know new people. Like, I felt, I felt nervous. Yeah. Uh, and that was, that was my face, which I put into the reel because... I was like, no, none of these people I have known before, I'm entering into a whole new crowd. I'm not at home anymore. And I'm practicing at a shallow. So it yeah. was a lot. So- I It is like, a lot. It's, it's
1: like people can look through your skin. Yes. That's, how, that's how vulnerable it is to walk into a my service. Yes.
2: And, 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 I, and I felt, I didn't feel like I was being judged, but I just, I was just telling myself that like, Mike, they're all watching right now. If you're them, you're gonna be the talk of the week.
3: <laughs>
2: yeah yeah <laughs> especially if I'm new I gotta be sure of what I'm doing so I set up the mat I did my opening mantra and I was like once, once I set my opening mantra I just like zoned everyone out from the world mm-hmm. it was almost as if like everybody was gone mm-hmm. so my breathing and I went with it boom and then from there it was only until like the, the, the teacher would come in and and assist me this is when I got my first adjustment in class it was during Pachimottanasana and I was like okay I'm understanding it now. Like, I'm understanding why he's doing it. He's not just doing it just to just be there, but he sees the area where I need the accessibility in. And this mm-hmm. is where I start understanding how the adjustment works and why he's adjusting me.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So, so, in Pachimotanasana, I would lift my head up because I would, I, was, I would think as if I have it like others where they have, their, where they're able to have their arm around their feet. Mm-hmm. So then he walked me through and he said that unless you're able to get the, the chin into the knee, keep your head down. Yeah. And the reason for him adjusting is to elongate the spine so then I can move myself further to, to have a better grasp of my feet during Pachimottanasana C. Yeah. So I was like, okay, no, I was like, thank you. And, and I would, and the thing about me is that I'm always like thankful and I'll talk a lot. So I was like, oh, thank you, teacher. And he'll be like, just focus on the practice. Yeah. I was like, oh, thank you. And, I, and then if he says anything, I'm like, oh, understood. Thank you. Because my parents raised me this way. So, so I'm always like, respectful. But, but then at the same time, I'm like, I need to focus back on practice. But I need to say thank you as well, too. So I'm com- complicating myself. But overall, mm-hmm. it was the best experience. I think I should have came in with, a, with, a, with, a, with like two towels instead. Because I <laughs> created a waterfall this was eddie's class that you walked into no no this was with, with mike ggl okay
0: okay uh, um his,
2: his studio is is cool project. project. it's right by eddie stern he's close by eddie okay stern. Yeah. okay so, this um, is
0: uh i know michael uh he's was kimberly flynn's student
2: oh yeah that's right
0: i know michael hi michael <laughs> michael and michael wow
2: yeah. no, I, that's what i always say i was like mike and mike in the morning
0: <laughs> yes, Mike
2: and Mike in the morning, it's so good. Like, what I also enjoy about Mike is that like, he would always, he would mention stories as well too during, during, during like the class about, about the animal terms and why, why certain, like, certain animals were named within asanas. Like for example, he was mentioning about Mayurasana, the, the peacock and how mm-hmm. the peacock collects poisons to create the colors. That it makes with, within within mm. its and whatnot. So yeah. I was like, I was like, wow, now I understand it. So he's like, when we press the elbows in, it's almost as if like we're, we're pressing into our intestines, the stomach, where where the poison would where the where the animal would happen. Like I didn't listen to it fully because I was still breathing, but I was yeah. like, this is so interesting. I want to listen to it. That takes like I out of practice. But this is allowing me to learn more about it because it's fun. Now I'm understanding why it's called these acids. like why is it called these animal names and whatnot?
3: So yeah.
2: I told myself. Yeah. Once a week, I'll just come by visit 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 the shala, and but I still want to practice at home, and I still want to have that online teaching with Eddie Stern because mm-hmm. I don't want to change my lifestyle. Hmm. Hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting.
1: Um, yeah. There's also this notion uh, that the peacock uh, can digest anything. They eat anything, digest anything, and so you know you're you're turning yourself into this bird that can. Uh, Digest anything as well because the, the elbows are you know pressing into the digestion. Yes, there's also that that element. But it's, um, I'm sorry to be pedantic, but um, <laughs>
2: did not thinking. No,
1: holy no. What was what was it like to walk into the room? the The smell was there a smell in the room?
2: Because honestly, I wasn't thinking about the smell at all. Oh wow, it was, it was more humid. Like I could sense, I could sense the humidity. Yeah, but I was more focused on. I'm here, like, okay. at a shallow. Like, yeah. I didn't really care about, like, the breath or anything. Like, it was more of, like, I'm here, Mike, you're in the big stage. Like, give it your all and make it the best. Mm-hmm. That's all I told myself.
0: Did you find that you had, like, more energy or more um...
2: oomph in your practice?
0: Yeah, oomph in your practice, exactly.
2: Okay, so the oomph came in when, when, he, when he gathered us around for, for, for our opening mantra. Mm-hmm. And when I was in it, it, it was like I I understood why people miss the studio experience. Because mm-hmm. during the panel, I, I didn't understand when, when when Dave Swenson was mentioning that he missed like the, the whole gathering and when I was like, I was like, what is it about the shower that you guys miss so much? Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. Totally. But, but then once that opening mantra came in and then that ohm came in, it felt like nothing, you couldn't hear nothing but but just the sound of the studio. Like, like every, every outside noise didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Every thought in the world didn't exist. All you could think about was that moment in that present moment, as we're all saying the mantra together and it resuming back to our practice. For some reason, it, was, it just felt like it wasn't just my energy anymore practicing, but it was using the energy of the, of the folks that were also practicing as well, too, with me. So it was like a combined energy. that were all working with each other to help continue our practice within that MindScore experience.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: That's so interesting. I, I think for so many of our listeners, and, and for, we'd really feel like we're stepping back into our first class and we're, and we're looking nostalgically back at what it was like to, to be fascinated and, and ex- ex- so excited about this practice from, the, from our very first day and it's so fascinating to talk to someone who can articulate so eloquently what the experience is like and and you've you're really examining everything about the practice in in such an incredibly perceptive way it's it's really fantastic to talk to you about it
2: no thank you thank you this this, is for me i i wanted to make sure that this was something that i wanted to do and it was something that really brought me joy because it brought me joy for a year so for me, it was more of like, okay, now I'm now I'm gonna experience what everyone else is experiencing.
3: Mm-hmm. And that was
2: and that was the perception that I that I had coming into it. So it was like very meaningful. That's why I was like, I need to take a picture of this. Like, but I didn't want to take a video of it and whatnot, because I knew I to me, it was that much of respect that I had that I didn't want to just take my my experience, but I wanted to just take a picture of this of, of the studio, of, of the of the teacher and mm-hmm. of Mike, because. It was just being at that place. It just felt different. That's why I told myself, I was like, I got to be, I got to come here. And my sensei was like, I'm doing the same thing too. So we're both doing it together. <laughs> so now, now we meet each other at, at, at like jiu-jitsu in the gym. We're like, what are you doing this week? Oh, I'm going to visit the Shala. Oh, what are you? Okay. Yeah. You know what? I'll, I'll tag along. So now we're, we're like, it's our lifestyle now.
0: That's so great. And it's so nice to have like an accountability partner. Yes. It's helpful.
2: It's yeah. the because you yeah. know, then you don't have to you could always have feedback or someone to, to communicate if there's any controversy that comes along within your practice.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Really... And I think that's
2: what, that's what may affect people from, from continuing it. and the retention behind the Shtanga is that there is, there may not be feedback for other people to talk to or someone to talk to if they're feeling those doubts of walking away or whatnot.
3: Because mm-hmm. I was able to
2: address it to my sensei and say, Hey, you know what? Like I haven't been feeling it for a week and he'll talk to me. It's like, well, why not? And I'll just tell him like, you know, because I'm very focused on getting a good job. Like, I was, I was getting a lot of anxiety, like I just I just can't sleep. And he'll just tell mm-hmm. me. it like, was like, you know what? just do just do the basic. You don't have to do a full primary series of what Instagram or what the studio will expect you to do. Just wake up, do three sun citation a, three some citation B, three finishing, and call it a day. That's it. Mm-hmm. So that was like the bare minimum. And for me, for some reason, like I had this 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 pride or this ego that even when I was even though I was telling myself that I'll do three. I'll do up the standing series and do the whole finishing. And I was like, "All right, you know, what? I'll just do this as my minimum for the day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if I didn't get that feedback, I would assume that i had have to commit the full hour and a half. And if I didn't, then I wasn't worthy enough to be an ashton. And I didn't want that mentality within, within myself because the mm-hmm. book even says it. So there really was no excuse not to practice at all.
0: That's mm-hmm. yeah. no, great. It's so good. Yeah. So good. How was it to receive like your first adjustments? What what uh, what came up for you? Well, was it like he
1: was just, he was receiving adjustments from Guy in the private? No, with with Guy, I had one private. I had like two
2: privates with him. Okay, oh, okay, in I'm person. Sorry. But it wasn't a my class. It was at his apartment. Right. Okay, yeah. That's the reason why. That's the reason I don't. I, I didn't say like oh, like my first my first shallow, my first shallow experience was with Guy because we were at his apartment and he invited me right. over like, where we did a private with him.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. okay, that makes
2: that's sense. Yes. Yeah but when i was with but well, when i was recent i felt the help and i understood how and i was able to get to certain asanas i never thought i could like mm-hmm. like pasasana i can't perform pasasana because i can't get my, my heels onto the mat yeah so i yeah. have to just go on my tippy toes as i do it and i like to roll with the mat because i feel like it kills time and it also like disrupts the flow that i'm doing so i'm like all right you're gonna have to do it on your tippy toes mike but, <laughs> but then mike walk walk he walked behind me and i was like what is mike about to do like well, what is is Mike gonna say like, you, you know, that's, a sh- that's the worst pasasana I've ever seen. All of a sudden he, just, he, he he's, like, he's, like, he's like, trust me, just, just, just lean back. And I was like, okay. I leaned back, he was able to get my heels on the ground. I was able to still hold into pasasana. And it mm-hmm. felt like I was in the posture, but as I was in that posture, he was telling me what I needed to do in the future. So it was more of getting an understanding on the completed posture
3: mm-hmm. and how
2: I was gonna get myself there. So I see the adjustment more as, okay, this is the end point of what I can do within my body. Cause he's literally showing me what I can do within my body through the adjustment. So now it was just the mission for me to know that, okay, you know, what? that's the path that I need to get to. So that's my homework for myself. I'm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yeah, More as like, you know what, I'm feeling lazy. I need an adjuster. Come help me out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There was a, I had a moment once with Michael's um, teacher, Kimberly. Mm. Um, I was in India and I was practicing next to her. Um, and her husband at the time, Noah, and uh, I just, I was watching the, because, you know, you just watch people, that's all you do in my and, and so I was just <laughs> all watching, you do. That's all I do, and I was watching them, and I saw them roll up mats and stand on them in Pashasana, I said, oh, I didn't know you could do that, okay, cool, so, you know, I, I rolled up my, I rolled up a mat so I could sit, I could sit on it in Pashasana, and then I'd feel really secure, and I could, go and wrap myself around Pashasan, and sharat comes over he's like no don't do that <laughs> but they did <laughs> so if there's anything that 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 would it's help you like
2: going <laughs> 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 the- i was going to get a block
1: yeah and he said no <laughs> no, no block. No block for you, but the guy, but the guy next to you might be able to get a block. So that's the thing, is that sometimes these rules are different for different people. So you might you might see that going forward, that sometimes the rules are different, different. Oh no, the way I look at
2: it is more as the teacher sees more potential within a particular student who's actually cool uh, and can do it. Like because Mike knows that I do jujitsu, so I'm used to paint. Yeah. I'm not gonna tell yeah. everyone, hey, like Hey, I'm a masochist, low-key. <laughs> so <laughs> so, so what I, yeah. for a crunch arsenal, he was like, you could do it. Just, just sit on it. It may not be comfortable by first, but you'll get yourself adjusted to it. And I was like, all right, I'll just do it. Even though it felt painful, I was like, Mike, just pretend as if it's jiu-jitsu. So mm-hmm. I just changed the perception for myself. And I was like, just, breath, just breathe through it. And I was like, oh, yeah, he's, he's right. I'm just holding this for five breaths. So what am I complaining about? Right. That's my mentality because he knows that I'm an athlete.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you That's have to fantastic. know the student.
1: <laughs> you have to know the student and then look at what they can do. That's really nice. That's really again, very insightful and very perceptive about your whole about what's going on going on with you right now. It's it's super fascinating to talk with you.
2: No, thank you, thank you. No, jujitsu opened my eyes because as I was getting back from as I was practicing with yoga and I was very deep with it, I looked back at, at Jiu-Jitsu and I noticed that none of the folks who are in jitsu are going to be able to do the same things that I'm doing. Right. So I'm not going to be able to teach them into doing what I'm doing when they're asking me, hey, I want to learn yoga too. So then from there, it's like, I need to understand body parts. I need to understand what people are really capable of. So I started to talk to my sensei and my sensei now we're actually discussing I'm setting up a yoga class now. Like we're going to start setting this up on Sundays where we're going to walk the jujitsu students through some citations. And wow. you know, some people aren't going to be able to do it. Some people are going to be able to do it. So based off, based off like IT and corporate, like I'm setting up the experience almost in the sense that we're going to have the beginners in the back, similar to my experience when I had Bikram, so mm-hmm. then have the students who would be consistent or, or, or have been doing or have a knowledge with it in the front. So then the folks within the back who may get tired after three or, or so some citations can watch the folks within the front
3: mm-hmm. and
2: use that to motivate themselves. Because I was looking at seating process as well, too. And it's like looking at how Sharaf even does it the same way, where when he's hosting classes, he probably had the beginners in the back. So some sort of the beginners can watch the students who are continuously doing it. Yes. For the class. Mm-hmm. Exactly.
0: Yeah. That's a really exciting, um, you know, when I first was introduced to yoga, it was through a modern dance teacher who introduced Surya Namaskara um, A and B as a way to warm up before the class. And that kind of got me interested and, and doing it on my own, even like before I went for a run or after I went for a run and, Um, she then would like teach some of the standing postures and that's kind of how I was first introduced to the sequence was through this modern dance teacher who over the course of, you know, our classes Mm -hmm. slowly like taught us all of the standing sequence. We didn't go past the standing sequence, um, because it was just like a warm up for the dance class. So then we would like Mm -hmm. go into other things. Right. But, um, I think it's a really beautiful way to, um, introduce people to the yoga and it's, can be super helpful for, you know, all disciplines, physical disciplines like jiu-jitsu or other martial arts, or even, you know, dancing.
2: <laughs> and this is what I was explaining to Eddie Stern, what I was talking to him the other day. And I was telling Eddie that, that like with this practice, we really need to keep this going within the future. Like I'm thinking of, like, I'm looking at a stronger, like five, 10 years down the line, helping athletes grow and helping athletes recover to have like a, a better, like recovery system when they retire. From mm-hmm. this post,
3: mm-hmm. so I'm,
2: I'm thinking like if the teachers can be hard on me, and I'm able to push on myself, why can't they do that for athletes? Why mm-hmm. can't we expand on on our on our expertise and, and start helping people who do need it? Mm-hmm. And that's where I wanted to add, to help with in terms of like what can be what can what can be a way where, where like the teachers can collaborate and start working with start working with teams like we're all within the different parts of the world. I'm sure there's this different sports teams from those areas where we can all network. And affiliate a yoga teacher design like designated to different teams to where Ashanga Yoga is literally taking over the world again without, <laughs> without, without, without like the images of the past. if like we don't need that. Like, my focus is more how do we make Ashanga grow and make it essential because it really is essential, but I feel like only a little, a little people know it through word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And so you're setting up a class with your sensei and you're going to be teaching other jujitsu students. Or is there any other classes that you're teaching or what's in the future for you? Where are you, where's your focus? What's happening next? For me, my
2: focus is to continue assisting teaching mm-hmm. until like five years down until I fully feel confident to teach yoga on my own. Mm-hmm. But jujitsu is, is, has been like my pride and passion. So like my main goal is to actually retire being a jiu-jitsu and a yoga teacher, being mm-hmm. able to have a facility where I can teach jiu-jitsu and yoga classes as well. So, and I have a passion for Bikram. So who knows, I might toss in a Bikram class, but, <laughs> 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 but, but to me, like that, that's always been my, like, my plan because I've noticed from, from people that, that, I, that I used to talk to, like, like my mentors, my early mentors, they've always said, you need something to do after you retire, especially from IT. Mm-hmm. And you get exhausted from it. You just want, you're going to get burnt out, but you need something to relax you. So you need something mm-hmm. that brings you joy. And I found out that jujitsu and yoga are t- uh, and the yoga, are two things that brings me joy. Therefore, I want to focus on mastering those fields after I retire so then I can be more essential and become more useful. I feel like right now, if I was to jump, if I jump in, not only does it, does it, make, does it not make sense because I'm still a student, but it also creates chaos in terms of, in the sense that, whatever I do is going to affect my future. So, so I'm more cautious in the sense that I want to learn it the right way and also set a good example for others for coming into yoga to where it's not like, okay, you need to be able to perform asanas to become a yoga teacher. I don't want that to be the perception.
3: Mm-hmm. And, I,
2: and I want the perception to be more of, you have to bring something into the community and you have to create an impact into yoga in order to be essential for yoga or, for, or to understand how yoga can help you. And that's the reason why I'm focusing on building this whole breakfast club Because the Breakfast Club was, the the problem that I would notice within Instagram was that there weren't a lot of people that were being noticed or being seen that was practicing Ashanga Yoga. And there were a lot of teachers that were teaching online that were providing like tools and tips that were being noticed within Ashanga Yoga. So my focus was, how can I create a community to where people can just get away from all the negativity and being able to actually generally meet people and, and see the inspiration behind it? And if they're able to connect with folks, maybe they might see, some, see somebody that's local within the area or they might have someone, hey, I have a buddy now that I can hold an accountability system with now, where I don't need someone locally within my area. Now, now they can. And now that we're in the social media network, now you don't have to feel alone practicing shangha yoga. I knew someone that was in San Francisco who, was, who loved it, but no one within his area or his block knows the yoga, nor do they care. So mm-hmm. they didn't have like a good, feedback towards Ashanga yoga or or having him wake up six o'clock in the morning to practice yoga so a breakfast club was essential for him and f- from there he was able to, to create his accountability team and then from there it was like all right now he's able to practice he went to bali indonesia he got to practice more with a shot with, Ash- with Ashanga yoga there was a shala over in bali where mm-hmm. he traveled to all through instagram and by creating this breakfast club by creating this network all this became possible So I'm looking at it in the sense of not much of like trying to sell, like I'm not like, that's why I moved myself away from selling classes online. I was more focused on just being like a gateway, just being that guy who's being able to just connect people together. Like, hey, oh, you're traveling to Brazil where you know what? There's these shadows you can visit to in Brazil. Like there isn't really much, isn't like that main hub anymore, where it's like, okay, I'm an astronaut yogi. Where's the network? Where can I go if I'm in Ohio? Where can I go if I'm in Kentucky? Where can I go if I'm in Nevada? It almost feels like it's very competitive with an Instagram. So because of that it almost feels as if like everyone is on their own which shouldn't be the case and which is why the demand is getting low because they're seeing so much chaos going on they're not seeing the unity When we're mentioned that yoga is unity they're not seeing that so Mm -hmm. so so then for me it's more like all right we got to show them something so i'm so that's why i do create this breakfast club and i'm like okay we're not going to put classes within breakfast club because by posting classes it's going to create competition so by but so by having people post like tutorial videos or or highlighting their inspiration is going to create more of a genuine rapport within the folks within the community.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that Ashtanga Yoga Breakfast Club. It's such a fun idea. It reminds me of the Breakfast Club, which always <laughs> brings happy memories. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's a concept, happy memories.
1: Well, it, it reminds me of Nkrumé's pan-African vision for Ghana. <laughs> But that's okay. I, I uh, we can we can have different approaches, Harmony. Um, I, again, I, I, just want to thank you so much for your enthusiasm, and it's very infectious. And you know, Harmony and I can be a little, you know, couple of cynical old dogs here, and it's really just fantastic to be able to look at this practice with you know be- uh, beginner eyes and beginner enthusiasm. And it makes, I feel like I want to go and do yoga now. So
2: I just thank you for that. We've we've done our job, Harmony. We got it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Mm. No, it is. It's such a, it's so refreshing. And it's so nice to just um, hear all of your insights and everything you've absorbed over the last, you know, couple of years online, offline. And, um, you know, yeah, your heart for, for sharing this practice and also making it accessible and um, bringing different voices and perspectives and, you know, experiences into the Ashtanga yoga world and um, having it reach more people is, uh, it's, it's awesome. It's so cool to just, you know, have that, that enthusiasm and that, that love for the practice coming through so, so uh, brightly, vibrantly. yeah. Yeah.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Well, thanks for joining us, Michael.
2: All right, well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me, to, like, to your community. Thank you for inviting me to your to your podcast. Like, it's very meaningful because I never would have thought within a year, like, a, a local kid from, from Newark, New Jersey, is gonna is gonna be end, ending up like creating an impact <laughs> on a social media network. I didn't think that was gonna happen, and being able to make it on this stage to make it through to your podcast to talk to you, to talk to Russell is meaningful because it tells me that what I'm doing, I'm going through the right road and I should continue, continue where I'm at. So thank you.
1: Absolutely. You should continue. Yeah. It's, it's, it's
0: fantastic. It's super positive and it is making a huge impact. So thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding Harmony with me, your host, Harmony Slater. You can find out more information on my website, harmonyslater.com and I look forward to connecting with you again soon.
3: Standing in eternity's shadow Watching the breaking waves There's a heart